Thanks for praying, brother. Well, I have become increasingly more convinced that this is the most powerful, most influential thing in the whole world. Um, it calls itself that power of God for salvation to all who believe. And like Ron prayed, we are privileged to open it freely. And if that privilege is taken away, we're going to open it nonetheless because the grass withers, the flower fades, sickness spreads, wars come, nations fall, but God's word stands. Okay, that's the sort of truth that we need. Not my truth, not your truth, the truth. It was contested back in Paul's time and it is contested today. And just like spoiler alert, it won and it will win, okay? So we've got a solid hope, a firm foundation. And if you're holding one of these Bibles today, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14. Until now, the writer uh, named Paul has been telling the audience, a guy named Timothy, to not be ashamed of the gospel, but to persevere and to keep going in faith and in ministry. After all, the news of Jesus is so good that it's got to be spread, it's got to be sung, it's got to be studied. Uh, One thing, I've really loved our weekly Bible studies. It's really good for me to see what some of you have been noticing in the text as we work through it together. Um, And one theme I've heard a couple people tap into in the last weeks is this contrast of honor and shame that's been set up in the first two uh, chapters. But our country doesn't quite work that same way. Americans are very much um, valuing things like independence and justice and freedom. And uh, while most of the world, uh, especially that of ancient Jewish culture, put a high emphasis on uh, personal relationships, social reputation, respect, uh, that's what we would call an honor-shame society. Western culture uses guilt to drive social order while Eastern culture uses shame. And we see that throughout the book. Um, We see honor and shame, and we'll see that again today. And I love looking at that theme as we go through the letter because the gospel shows a crucified, guilt-taking, shame-bearing Messiah who has the greatest honor and the highest status of all. And Paul says, because of that, Timothy, while you suffer, do it by his power, and do it strengthened by his grace. Because, right, everlasting honor and life is in Jesus. And y'all, that news must persevere. So as we go into the second movement of the letter, starting in verse 14 here today, uh, Paul is going to zero in on training up trainers who will keep the faith and who will keep the truth. Paul wants Timothy to keep the faith, and he wants him to keep the truth. We need the same thing, so we're going to study it together, starting in verse 14 and 15. And before we do that, I'd like to pray. So bow your heads with me. Jesus, your word is powerful, and we need that uh, because we are weak. Lord, your word is permanent, and we, we are not. We are fading and brief like a mist. So, Lord, teach us to number our days that we might be wise. Lord, in our hearts, put a fear of you that we might 
know you. Help us to draw near to you in love through your word right now. It's in Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to look first at verses 14 and 15. Look at it with me. Paul says, Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Okay, let's pause there. Um, I've got a couple questions right away from the text. I want to know, who is the them in verse 14? Remind them, who is them? And then what are these things that he's supposed to remind them of? And after, after looking myself with Jeremy, with some others, I think we, we can see the them being the, the faithful men that he's writing to, that Timothy's supposed to entrust with the word, and he wants him to remind them, certainly of the gospel, specifically of present death and future life. Okay, we read that, well, we read about it a lot last week. Uh, that's in verses 11 to 13 of the same chapter. Uh, and along with this reminder, there's a charge. The leaders are supposed to not quarrel about words because he says that ruins the hearers. And Paul writes about this theme, uh, kind of writes around the theme of the word, word, <laughs> several times later in this text. And he uses that to refer to the teaching, both of faithful teachers and of unfaithful teachers. Um, in this case, we read quarrel uh, here. The Greek word for that is called lagomakein, uh, lagomakeo. It's a compound word that we can split to two pieces. It means word, war. So what he's not saying is to stop splitting doctrinal hairs. He's, actually, he's not talking about that. He's putting forward this point, don't make war on the truth. There are some who do. Timothy, don't be one of them. Don't make war on the truth, on God's faithful word. And this is really clear in verse 15, I think, where he says the instruction is, rightly handle the word of truth. Y'all in Awana know that, right? We need to keep the truth with accuracy. So that's the first point. Keep the truth with accuracy. And I think there's a pretty clear, pretty easy application for teachers in this, right? We can see that handling God's word is a cause for honor, Mishandling it is cause for shame, and Paul will later call out some people for not handling it right. And, and teachers then, I mean, this is speaking very directly to me today, but also many of you in many different places throughout many years, right? We should approach the word with high respect, and yet we shouldn't be intimidated by it either. I, I've seen... Uh, Two, two faults, maybe, and we don't want to go into either of these. The first one being irreverence. We don't want to approach the word flippantly or irreverently. That would be very wrong. But we also don't want a, a high view of God's word and a, a low view of ourself. That's, that's good, right? We are weak and broken, and God's word is perfect and glorious, but that shouldn't paralyze us from inactivity, okay? And that would be the other fault. So, Teachers, we must be humbled by the word. That's not an optional thing. We must be humbled by it, but see how freeing the command is. 
do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. So it's, it's interesting to me. Exegetical perfection is not the command, but heart presentation is. Okay, so teaching right information is obviously non-negotiably important, but ultimately we can't have that without a right and humble heart posture. Okay, so let's read on in verse 16 and see how he continues this story. We're going to read 16 through 18 here. He says, Avoid irreverent babble, for that will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hamanius and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. Okay, so here in ancient Ephesus, the faith of some believers was being upset and overturned by heresy. False teachers were preaching, the resurrection's already here, probably referring to it in some sort of a spiritual sense. Uh, And the danger is that they, they took such a wonderful truth, something that's very core to Christianity, and they left out part of this story where they weren't totally wrong, but that's what made it all the more dangerous. Whatever doctrine they were teaching was semi-believable for the church, but it was just as deadly as something that was blatantly, obviously wrong. Okay? So, instead of rightly handling the word of truth, contrast, these men swerving from the truth. (laughs) Okay? We're going to go back to Greek class for like a minute here. The word used to describe rightly handling the word of truth. That phrase is orthotomeo. The prefix ortho is going to be familiar to a few of you if you've worn braces. You go to an orthodontist and they straighten your teeth, right? That prefix ortho means straight. Uh, And then tomeo would be to cut. So an alternate translation for this would be to guide the word of truth along a straight path. Or think of it like cutting straight to your destination. You see see the difference here. The path that swerved eventually descended into ungodliness. Timothy, no, Timothy, you guide the word of truth on a straight path. And keep the truth with accuracy. And do that with holiness. That's our second idea here. Let's read verse 19. Just that one. It says, But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Okay. So, <laughs> uh, immediately after saying we've got to keep the truth with accuracy, we come to something which is kind of tricky to figure out. My question on this section is, what does Paul mean when he says God's firm foundation? Firm foundation. What does he mean? And I, I think there's probably two, uh, two viable options. One way is right, though both are true. Um, let me show you what I mean. Uh, end of verse 18. Coming up here, we'll read that false teachers are upsetting the faith of some. Later, verse 19, we read that the Lord knows those who are his, and that God's people, people, depart from sin. 
Okay, so note that seal of the foundation. That is the Lord knowing his people and his people departing from sin. So accounting for all that, I think what he's referring to by firm foundation is God's elect people, those people that he saves. And there is another option. Some scholars would refer or understand foundation as referring to the, just the true gospel, uh, God's word. And that, that's true. Like, of course, God's word stands. We see that all throughout other places of scripture. I don't know that that's what it's talking about in this specific phrase, but y'all, let's, let's look at this anyway. I think we can weave these two things together. Because if we take it from technical to practical, we just understand that there are those who pose as godly, but will twist truth and abandon the faith. And again, false doctrines come and go. Heretics come and go. Denominations even come and go. But the true gospel remains. So, brothers and sisters, stake your life on it. God's people hold fast. That's what it's saying. God's people hold fast to that truth even as they are held fast by their God. So if you identify with Jesus as a Christian, as you bear his name in that word, listen to Paul's command at the end of verse 19. Depart from iniquity. So let's look at it uh, for leaders and teachers. I think there is certainly a connection between personal holiness and teaching effectiveness, okay? And I thank God that that is not a one-to-one ratio because otherwise the good news would just stop with the first sinful man who tried to spit it out. Nevertheless, teachers, may our lives conform and confirm to the glories that our mouths speak, okay? If God is really more precious than everything else, let's just live like it. We don't want our lives to contradict our message. So our application is depart from iniquity, leave sin behind. And then this is just beautifully the same thing for all of us. For every believer, we've got to feel the goodness of the promise. Depart from iniquity, leave sin behind, feel the goodness of the promise. God knows those who are his. He knows his people. And we've got to feel the the urgency of this too, right? And because maybe we don't yet, maybe we we like staying in our sin, Paul gives us an analogy. (laughs) So we read verse 20 and 21. Let's do it. Eyes on the text here. Now, verse 20. In a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also some of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So, friends, the the call is to leave our sin behind for the sake of those who are still in their sin. You see that? I looked up the number. Right now it's 3.2 billion who've never heard the gospel. And we know so many too who have heard it but don't believe it. So 
Be ready for every good work. Cleanse yourself from what is dishonorable so that we can influence our families, our town, our kids to know and to love Jesus. We've got to keep the truth with holiness for the sake of the lost. We just can't afford to keep our sin. It's got to go. And if you think, I can't do that because I am a sinner, like you're right. <laughs> we, we can't do this alone. But <laughs> praise God, as we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive. And praise God that he uses broken vessels to display his perfect glory. So, keep the truth with holiness. And then, in the last section, we see that we need to keep the truth with correction, or making correction. Let's read it. This is going to be 22 to the end. So, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with all of those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Timothy needs to keep the truth, and for that to happen, he must correct false teachers. How should he do that? Like guns blazing, logic imposing? No. <laughs> he starts back, interesting, he starts back with personal discipline, right? Flee evil cravings, and then pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace. So he starts there, and then he gives instruction to avoid controversies which are foolish and have no sense. Those dissensions are not helpful. Those discussions will not be helpful. However, with kindness and patience, there is a time to correct false teachers. Let's apply this as close to home as we can. Uh, some of you love a good debate, relish in defeating your opponents with logic and facts. And if that's you, go ahead, look at verse 25, underline it, right? Correcting with gentleness. Because winning the argument is not the goal. Persuasion is the goal, right? Y'all, hear me out. The truth stands, and it's going to survive whether or not false teachers believe it, but we want them to repent, to come to their senses, to not be captured by Satan anymore. So make correction for the truth. And some of you are, are maybe a little more like me. I, I would prefer like peacemaking uh, to debating in some senses. And for us, we also got to look right at 25, underline that, and hear the command, correct, with gentleness. Here's the thing. 
we can't be ashamed of what is true, but we must have the humble assurance of one who is with Jesus. Okay, and we have to have the conviction that the gospel must be made known. Again, not for our own sake. We've got to get uncomfortable so that the gospel might be clear, so that lives may be changed. Um, And to wrap this together, some of you have been part of a denomination or a church which is not held to the truth. Um, And then naturally, we're all guilty of inconsistent gospel living. Like, even if we believe it, we wrestle with sin. And I was thinking, how, how could we make this clear to see what we, what we don't want to do? So I made a little bit of a list. Here's a how-to list on rejecting truth. So this is how you reject the truth, and we'll, then we'll correct back. So if you don't want to keep the truth, if you don't care to keep it with accuracy, you use the Bible to make it say what you want to say. Anything you want it to say. If you want to live without holiness, you can know Scripture really well and then ignore it and not do anything with it. And if you want to avoid making correction for the truth, you can either stay quiet and not impose on anyone, or you can say truth loudly with all passion and no discretion. Okay? We see this here. This is what is kind of the anti-keeping truth. And let's look at what keeping truth looks like. There is a better way, friends. Keeping it with accuracy, with holiness, making correction. So think of it. Handling the word well is keeping it accurately. Okay? We read about it. We read it. We think about the word. We study it. And we pass it on. Okay? Think of holiness just as in growing in God, leaving sin for the greater pleasure of knowing Jesus and bringing our sin to him because he invites us freely. And then correcting others very, very carefully with much love and discernment. Okay, so if your heart's feeling tugged by all this, I would encourage you to read Psalm 119 this afternoon. Think about that. Uh, It's probably what I'm going to be doing. It just has some really sweet words on the permanence and the beauty of the Bible. Uh, In a little bit, we're going to sing just of the awesome gospel story in song. I think that's another way we can directly apply it. But we're going to do that after sharing communion. So let me me pray for us here. Lord Jesus, uh, we just confess our own inability and weakness and sin and avoidance of all these things. Lord, we need to keep the word, keep the truth, keep the faith with accuracy and holiness, correcting those who are leading others astray. So God, help us. Um, We need you. We can't do this on our own. Please give us... uh, just a clear vision of the cross as we take communion. Please fill our hearts with peace and give us rest on this Sabbath day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.